Connect is your bridge to the land and people of Israel. Welcome everybody to another edition of Israel Connect. I'm Laura Densmore and tonight we're going to take a look at how the residents of Kibbutz Biri are doing, those who survived the massacre, how they're doing. So let's take a look. This is with Bridges for Peace. Kibbutz Barry, now living in a hotel on the Dead Sea. It was sea. one of the area's hardest hit when Hamas... They shot a baby, three months old, in front of their mother. It's not a war. It's a massacre. It's a terror. Bridges for Peace has come down to the Dead Sea, the lowest place on earth. We are here at a place called Enbokek. Behind me is the David Hotel and Spa. But this hotel and spa has actually been turned into a place for displaced people, Israelis of the South, refugees. A thousand people from Kibbutz Barry are staying here. Their homes, their community completely destroyed. The number is about 85 people murdered, 35 people kidnapped and taken hostage into Gaza. Who knows how many others have been wounded, but an entire community broken and grieving and staying here in this hotel on the shores of the Dead Sea. There are seven stages of grief. They're not even at stage one. I met with a, a cognitive therapist, an expert in his field with 20 years of experience. And I asked him, Yuval, in your 20 years, have you ever seen anything like this? He said, absolutely not. I, I wasn't trained for this. How do you prepare for this? The, the scale, this nation is hurting. Kibbutz Barry is one of a few kibbutzim, communities near Gaza that were completely destroyed. This isn't broken down doors and windows or repairs that needed to be made. These are places burned completely to the ground, places destroyed, everything. These people have lost everything. Some of the survivors who had to hold the doors of their bomb shelters shut while terrorists were on the other side trying to break through, while terrorists fired through the doors, killing one of the, uh, one of the people, while the mother and the children uh, huddled for safety. And the mother actually responded in an, in an incredible heroic way to save her children and she is here. We met with her today and we actually met her children but her husband sadly was murdered. And, and Noe was already dead at those moments because he was bleeding too badly and there was nothing to stop his bleeding. So this, this place, it's words, it's, it's difficult to find the right words. Everybody in this hotel is hurting. Everybody has been traumatized. There's people from babies to elderly that are here. Everybody's waiting. It's still so raw, so raw. This isn't PTSD. They're living trauma in the now. So as Bridges for Peace, we're standing in the gap here and you can stand as well with us. We call you to pray and to give. Let me tell you exactly how we're gonna be helping these people. We're gonna be sponsoring 50 families, supplying refrigerator water. I'm gonna put the link to the donate, uh, where you can go to donate in the description box below. They're doing a very good work, working with the residents who survived at the Biri Kibbutz. In our next story, we're going to take a, take a quick look at a clip of what the Gaza port looked like before and after. 
take a look. And in our next clip, we're going to take a look at a large number of trucks that are bringing in humanitarian aid to the Gaza Strip. And these are trucks coming from Israel. They're lined up, quite a few of them, and the trucks are being closely inspected to make sure they're not bringing in any arms or weapons. Take a look. And as you know, this past week, we've been seeing small numbers of hostages being released each day. 10, 11, 12 hostages each day. And in this next clip, we're going to see some children who had been held captive by Hamas and how their beloved dog warmly greets them. Take a look. In our next clip, there's an important message that we need to remember. These people that were taken hostage were not going on a vacation or staying in a motel. They were taken forcibly against their will. They lived under horrendous conditions. Some of them have not seen daylight in 50 days. Some of them were only fed rice and that's all. So this is an important hostage message that we need to keep in mind. Why are you choosing to see only one side of the story? You see terrorists wave goodbye to the hostages. But those same terrorists murdered their loved ones and violently kidnapped them from their homes. You see terrorists help them into the Red Cross van, but those same terrorists are responsible for their limping and malnourishment. You see terrorists cooperate in releasing hostages, but those same terrorists force their captives to wave and smile at gunpoint. Under the watch of Hamas terrorists, this was the inhumane and unjustifiable reality for over 240 hostages. For over 50 days, innocent women, children, men, the elderly, and Holocaust survivors lived in painful uncertainty. On November 24th, following the tactical pause and framework of the hostage release, a small portion of the hostages came home. 
Unfortunately, many of the hostages were torn from their family members, who still remain in Hamas's captivity. Others were informed upon their return that their loved ones had been murdered. With every hostage released, we are only reminded of those who remain behind. We won't rest until they're all back. We won't stop until our people are safe. In our next clip, we're going to learn and listen to a mom of a 12-year-old boy who just got released and brought back home from being a hostage, and how this 12-year-old boy was subjected to being forcibly having to watch carnage, video footage that was extremely graphic and violence, and he had to watch it over and over. Have a look. Le Hamas, ISIS, il est obligé de voir le film d'horreur que personne ne veut voir. Il est obligé à regarder ça. On parle du film des exactions du 7 novembre. Oui, 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 tout le film. Et chaque fois qu'un enfant pleurait là-bas, il lui emmenait avec une arme pour qu'il se taise. Et arrivé à Gaza, tous les civils. Tout le monde l'a tapé quand il est arrivé là-bas. C'est un enfant de 12 ans. On parle d'un enfant de 12 ans. Est-ce que vous vous attendiez à une telle horreur À ce qu'il raconte des choses indescriptibles, comme ce que vous venez de me dire, Déborah Honnêtement, non. Je... Peut-être je suis naïve, mais je voulais espérer qu'il soit bien traité. Mais apparemment, non. C'est des monstres. Toute la journée, on attendait. On était tellement contents, mais maintenant... Quand je sais ça, je m'inquiète, je m'inquiète et il y a encore son père là-bas et il y a encore 160 personnes là-bas qui ne sont pas revenues. C'est énorme, imaginez-vous 160 personnes. Comment on peut se sentir bien après une expérience comme ça Je vais aller le voir, je vais lui donner un grand câlin et il a un long chemin à faire. Est-ce que Ethan lui-même a été frappé par des personnes là-bas Oui, oui. Arrivé à Gaza, il a été frappé. Tous les gens là-bas, à l'entrée de Gaza, l'ont tapé. C'est un enfant. In our next clip from memory, we see how Palestinian children are brainwashed from a very young age to hate Jews. It is truly child abuse. Take a look. سليم ليش حابه تصيري شرطيه ليش زي مين زي عمه مين عمه احمد هو شرطي شو بيسوي طب الشرطي بس الحرامي والبعمل مشاكل وبتخي اليهود صح آه. انت بدك تصيري زيه ان شاء الله لما تكبري لما تخي اليهود كلهم 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 اه طيب this past week, Elon Musk paid a visit to Israel, and he was accompanied by Benjamin Netanyahu, and he visited some of the kibbutzes that have been ravaged by Hamas on October the 7th. It was a very sobering visit and eye-opening for him. He shares some sobering thoughts. Take a look. It was uh, certainly been um, a day, I would say, an emotionally difficult day uh, to see the places where people were murdered. I just did a talk with the, the Prime Minister and um, I think there's, I mean obviously there, there are three things that need to happen uh, in, in the Gaza situation. 
I mean, there's no choice but to kill those who insist on uh, murdering civilians. There's exactly. no choice. Um, they're not going to change their mind. But, and then the second thing is to change the, the education so that a, a new generation of, of murderers is not trained to be murderers. And then, the, and then the third thing, which is also very important, is to try to build prosperity. And I want to take a look at this really well-written article. It's an analysis by Carolyn Glick from Jerusalem, or from Jewish News Syndicate. And the title of the article is very thought-provoking. Biden is the primary obstacle to an Israeli victory. Now, why does she say that? She opens with this. Polling shows that the overwhelming majority of Americans support Israel in this war, and they want uh, Hamas to be destroyed. And the overwhelming majority of lawmakers from both parties share that view. So what's the problem? The time has come, she says in her article, to discuss the Biden administration's relationship with Israel. With each passing day, two things become obvious. First, Israel cannot fight the war without U.S. resupply of the Israel Defense Forces. As a consequence, Israel is beholden to the administration's directives. And second, if Israel follows the Biden administration's directives, it will lose the war. So I'm going to add to that that as this is being recorded, Anthony Blinken from the State Department is on his third visit right now in Israel probably twisting some arms and meeting with the war cabinet and pretty much imposing um, the administration's point of view about how Israel ought to proceed in the war. Let's continue in her article. Israel's dependence on the U.S. was stated bluntly by retired IDF Major General Yitzhak Brick in an interview earlier this week. And Brick said this, all of our missiles, the ammunition, the precision guided bombs, all the airplanes and bombs, it's all from the U.S. The minute they turn off the tap, you can't keep fighting. You have no capability. Everyone understands that we cannot fight this war without the U.S., period. Brick went on to explain that President Joe Biden's demand that Israel permit humanitarian aid to enter Gaza means that he's demanding that Israel keep Hamas fully supplied with food, water, and fuel. And his demand that Israel minimize Palestinian civilian casualties endangers IDF soldiers and renders the expansion of the ground offensive into central and southern Gaza, where the bulk of Hamas's force is now located, almost impossible to carry out. Brick suggested various forms of long-term tunnel warfare, and other suggestions for how the IDF may be able to defeat Hamas over time while operating within the constraints that Biden and his top advisors are dictating. It's hard to judge whether BRICS suggestions are workable without access to situational intelligence about conditions on the ground in southern Gaza. At a minimum, it is clear that Biden's preference for the lives of civilians in Gaza over the lives of IDF soldiers on the ground ensures that far more soldiers will be killed in the fighting than would otherwise be. Three weeks ago, the administration began demanding that Israel limit or cancel entirely its pre-ground battle aerial bombings, 
Consequently, in the week that preceded this week's humanitarian pause, the ceasefire, the IDF's battle losses were overwhelmingly the consequence of sniper fire from Hamas terrorists that were hiding in buildings that the Air Force did not destroy before the battles due to U.S. pressure. I really agree with what she's saying, and so we really have some issues here that would need to be prayed into. So my concluding thoughts that I want to share with you is this. Israel has a moral imperative to resume the war and win the war against Hamas. They need to resume the war as soon as possible and finish the job of eradicating Hamas. They must not succumb to pressure coming from the Biden administration or anywhere else. They must press forward. If they have to throw rocks at Hamas because they're not getting resupplied, then let it be so, or perhaps the resupply can come from another source. But they must stand strong and withstand the pressure that's coming from the Biden administration. There is no moral equivalency here. This is truly a battle of good versus evil and of light versus darkness. Israel must win this war if they waffle or they compromise or they don't finish the job, the evil will be at our own doorstep. And the other part of this moral imperative is this. Every Christian must stand with Israel and the Jewish people right now. We need to support them in prayer. We need to support them in giving. And I'm talking giving sacrificially and support our Jewish friends. We must be a united front against the evil. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you again soon. Shalom.